Good morning. What a beautiful Lord's Day it is and a privilege to be together in the, uh, as the house of the Lord, the living house of the Lord uh, in this place this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church. Here at East LJ, we have been captivated by Christ. In Jesus, we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that has given to us grace and peace and everlasting life from God the Father. We exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ with our world. And so we pray that you'll see his beauty today and that your heart will be captivated by him. A couple quick thank yous. I want to thank Travis Green, David Hensley, and Isaac Hensley for the beginnings of our Welcome Center on the left when you come in, on the right when you go out. We appreciate uh, those men and their work to get that going. You can uh, see all the uh, announcements for the week scrolling there on the TV, and we'll have some other stuff coming there in the near future. So thank you, men. Stand with me as we read from God's Word together this morning. A few verses from 2 Corinthians 8. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5 and also verse 7 and verse 9. Paul said, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. But as you excel in everything, verse 7, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. For you know, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Aren't you thankful that Jesus was willing to become poor, to leave all the glory of heaven, to become a man, God incarnate, live a perfect life in our place, go to the cross, die the death we deserved, be buried on the third day, rise in our place, and give victory to all who will trust in him. Aren't you thankful that he was willing to divest himself of his glory, to, to invest himself in our salvation, and to become poor, that we might become spiritually and eternally rich? Amen? This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And in this passage, as we saw last week, Jesus' life, is the pattern for our living on every front, but even in our giving. And so we'll talk more about that today and how, uh, what might stand in the way and, and really the solution to uh, our giving and how we can be more like Christ uh, in, our, in our giving. I'm thankful that we know the gospel. So many around the world and even some of your neighbors and friends and family members don't know him. They may have heard the name Jesus, but they don't understand what he's done for them. And they're just, many of them, waiting perhaps on us, you, me, to speak the gospel into their lives. Others around the world have never even had the opportunity to hear the gospel yet. 
the Maba people of Chad, Africa. It's a Muslim people group, 546,000 of these folks with only 0.01% believers. So there's like 55 believers in the mix. By the way, sometimes I, I keep assuming, I assume things. Uh, when we pray for unreached people groups, that's defined as a group where 2% or less of the population are believers. And, and it's just obviously somewhat random, but if 2% or more, uh, over 2% are believers, then there's a greater likelihood of a thriving church developing. But if it's less, the idea being uh, it's very hard and they're still yet unreached because a church has not been established. So we want to pray for the Maba people. We want to pray for your neighbors. And we have a list here that I'll pray for uh, this morning. Uh, friends and family of our church family uh, who are sick, uh, some recovering from surgery, uh, and others grieving this morning. So join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you that for our sake, you became poor in order that we might become rich. Lord, you deserved all of the glory of heaven. It was rightfully the only way you should have or had to ever exist, being praised as God, as God, the second person of the Godhead. But Lord, you loved us, and in the perfect plan of the triune God, Lord, you came and became one of us. And you died the death of a criminal to in your own body pay for our sins. We praise you for the price you paid that we might be saved, that we might be rich and become heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, forever children of the living God in the heavenly house of God. This is our future and we praise you. Lord, we want to pray for our neighbors. We want to pray, Lord, that you'd make us faithful to share Christ with them. And we want to pray for the nations today, especially the Maba people. God, our brothers and sisters there, though they're few, we pray that you would make them mighty in the power of your spirit and with the gospel to preach the truth to their kinsmen. And Lord, this morning we join our hearts together to pray for quite a few here today, Lord. Thank you that you know each and every situation perfectly and that you are present with each and every one. This morning, Lord, we lift up Tony Jordan as he recovers from surgery. We continue to pray for Natalie Johnson and, and the family as they care for her. Lord, we lift up Jane Anderson and her continued healing. We pray for the family of Craig Gentry. Lord, we pray for Lisa Howron. Continue to pray for Al Finucci and his family. Lift up Yvonne Penland. Father, we lift up Miss Ruth Roberts. Thank you that she is again home from the hospital, having been in and out a couple times now. We pray for her and her, her sons as they care for her. We lift up Mike Williams as he recovers from surgery. Today we pray for Tricia Patterson and her family in the, in the death of her sister Paulette just this week. Lord, we pray for comfort and strength as that family's uh, Trisha also lost her brother just recently. So Father, give comfort there. Father, there are others that uh, are on our hearts and, 
and that you know, know each one by name. Thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you would uh, intervene. Use us to minister comfort and encouragement. Uh, use us to serve some of these any way we can. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence together to pray. And it's our prayer now, Lord, that you would cause us to be still and know that you're God. That, Lord, we could truly worship in spirit and truth in this hour. That we wouldn't be distracted by anything, but we would see Christ and him lifted high. And that in him, God, we would be satisfied fully and yet ever hungry and thirsting after more of who he is to us. Come by your spirit now, we pray. Lead and guide us, teach us, change us. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Just before we enter into worship and song, take a minute and greet those uh, around you. Uh, if you don't know somebody, introduce yourself to them. And then Joe and the worship team will bring us back together in just a moment. Let's sing together. We're going to start out with Blessed Be Your Name.
sing with Megan as she leads us in forever. Body on the 
be seated. Lord Jesus, for all of eternity, we will sing of your worthiness. You alone are worthy. Revelation tells us to take the scroll and unfold it and unroll the remainder of history and consummation of all things. Father, thank you that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Lord Jesus, by your blood, you have bought a people from every tribe, tongue, people, group, and nation. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you, Lord Jesus, are building your church. As the gospel is preached, you're bringing in those for whom you died. Lord, you are calling to yourself through the preaching of the gospel those who will forever be your people. And you alone are worthy. And because of what you've done, Lord, you've given us a living hope. Every day we live with hope in the present and for eternity. How we thank you. And it was all because you were willing to be made poor. to die on a Roman cross as God incarnate that we might become rich, that sinners, enemies of God could be declared once and for all and eternally children, beloved children of God. So we stand in awe of you. We praise you. And Lord Jesus, we will sing forever that you are glorified. And Lord, we want you to be glorified in our lives. We want you to be glorified more in our lives. You're so worthy because of your grace, your holiness, your goodness to us. We want you to be glorified in our finances. And so open our hearts to understand your word. Together now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles this morning over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as you're doing that, are we having children's church today? Yes, Children's Church. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And as they're making their way out, uh, I want to go ahead as you're finding 1 Timothy 6 and officially welcome Trey and Juliana Rogers, our new youth pastor and his wife. The teenagers and their families got to meet uh, Trey and Juliana last. Well, you got to, most of you got to meet them a couple weeks ago, but uh, they are official now. They are with us, and we're so thankful um, and uh, just excited to, to have you guys. We had the privilege of spending some time with them last night and uh, so thankful that, uh, that they're here with us. And at the end of the message today, Trey and Giuliano come lead us in our uh, closing worship time. And so looking forward to that as well. First Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll be in just a couple minutes. John D. Rockefeller 
You've heard of him, right? Pretty rich fellow, right? He said this, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. John Rockefeller also said, I have made many millions and they have all brought me no happiness. Experts tell us that the average person thinks about money 50% of his or her waking time. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. And then I want us to, uh, here's the challenge, here's your homework for the week. Kind of check yourself this week, right? And what you're going to find, because I've done, I've been, been working on this. We spend a lot of time thinking about money. How to get it, how to keep it, how to save it, how to spend it, how to find it. We're tremendously occupied with money. We conclude our larger series, Stewarding Our Lives for the Glory of King Jesus, as well as the little mini-series we've been in for the last few weeks, Stewarding Our Money for the Glory of King Jesus this morning. In Matthew 5, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love, serve God and money. As we've noted in weeks past, Jesus had more to say about money than he did sex or even heaven and hell. Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples and you and me, as we read the gospel accounts, understood how easily money can become our God and capture our hearts. And so just at the very beginning, we're about two or three weeks in, I can't remember, talking about money. Where is your heart this morning concerning money? See, that's what this is really all about. That's really the, 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 the crux of the matter, as we'll see in a minute. It's the love of money. It's, it's my heart toward money that is the issue. Amen? Tim Keller says, follow the pathway of the fear back into your heart to discover the things you love more than God. Follow the pathway of the fear. What is your fear? You follow that pathway back into your heart to discover the things you love more than God. And so ask yourself this question, how much of what you fear is related to money? When you're doing that time thing, do the fear thing as well. And you will also be shocked how much it's a fear of something related to money that occupies our heart. Our, fa- our Father and Savior doesn't want us to live this way, though. We don't have to live fearing money, always consumed with money. He wants us living with contentment, which will be the key word this morning. And all the peace and the joy that comes along with it. Doesn't that sound good to your heart? Sometimes it's far lacking in our hearts. But that's what a loving father wants for you when it comes to your money. He wants contentment and all the peace and joy that contentment in him gives. As Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want to talk to you this morning from 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 16, about the battle for contentment in Christ. The battle for contentment 
in Christ. Where we, where we end up here in this mini-series of, of stewarding our money for the glory of King Jesus is the very heart of it all. If we can't get content in our hearts, then we'll never use our money for the glory of King Jesus. Uh, we'll never have a handle on the proper stewardship of that which God has given us. The battle for contentment in Christ. And here's the take-home truth. Our decisive battle of faith is daily fighting the love of money so that our hearts can be truly rich and satisfied in God. Now, that's, that's a carefully crafted statement, and I want you to understand it is just that big a deal. Our decisive battle of faith is daily fighting the love of money so that our hearts can be truly rich and satisfied in God. J.D. Greer put it this way very simply. The number one competitor for our souls in the Bible, check it out, is money. Is money. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 Paul says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, that is, other than the gospel, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. And this person, this false teacher is imagining that godliness is a means of gain. What's the word gain referring to there? Money. But godliness, verse 6, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, that is the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith, listen, and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Our decisive battle is of faith is daily fighting the love of money so that Our hearts can be truly rich and satisfied in God. And as that last part makes it real clear, and we're ready for the king's return. Notice the following two strategic actions from this text that we must take to daily win the fight of faith in the battle against the love of money. Number one, run 
from the love of money. And number two, run to the gain of godly con- contentment. So, so that's, that's, that, that's it. We're going to be running a lot this morning. Y'all ready? You got your tennis shoes on? Here we go. We're going to be running from the love of money, and we're going to be running to the gain of godly contentment. And the motive behind all of that is because you live your life today in the presence of God and in the light of the soon return of your sovereign Savior and King. You remember where this whole stewardship series started? Our King came and bought a kingdom, and He went away. And he entrusted us with this life and this gospel and this salvation that we enjoy. And he said, I'm coming back and it'll be soon. And when I come back, what have you done with the mana I've given you? He's coming back. Number one, run from the love of money. Verse 11, it says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Well, what are these things in the context? Well, in the context, if you just back up one verse to verse 10, it says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Flee these things. It's just safe enough to say, flee the love of money. Run from the love of money. You know, there's other places where uh, we're told, and, and Scripture illustrates for us, <clears throat> to run. In those cases, and the ones I'm thinking about, it actually means like literally run, flee sexual immorality. And Joseph gives us a great illustration of that in Potiphar's house. When Potiphar's wife tried to overtake him and seduce him, what did he do? He left his clothes in her hand and ran. She pulled his coat right off of him and he ran. Now, sometimes you can't necessarily do that with love of money. But you need, we need to figure out how. What does it look like to flee from these things? And all the things the love of money, all the evils the love of money brings our way. Well, the way you, get, the way you stay away from, the way you run from the evils the love of money produces is to nip it in the bud. The great theologian Barney Fife used to say, nip it in the bud, pull it up by the root, go back to the heart and your heart toward money. The love of money. Don't let there be love of money in your heart. Run from the love of money. John Piper said this idea of loving money in terms of covetousness is the same thing. Covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. It's key that you understand that because that's the key to fighting covetousness. Realizing that that is covetousness, when I desire money in this case, so much that I lose my contentment in God. That's what happens. Remember what Jesus said? You can't love at the same time with the same heart. You can't serve God and money. That's why Paul says, Piper goes on in Colossians 3, 5, that covetousness is idolatry. It's interesting in Colossians 3, 5, there's a list of sins there. And amongst all these nasty sins, we would say, all the really gross sins, all the, all the immorality and all that mess, and you know, just all the vulgar sins, right in the middle of that he throws covetousness, which is idolatry. And yet, in the American church, we've baptized covetousness and greed and materialism as the acceptable sin because, hey, we're Americans. And it's okay to live the American dream no matter what the Bible says. Y'all all right? Okay, good. It's going to get worse. Why is covetousness idolatry? Because the contentment that the heart should be getting from God, it starts to get from something else. 
Coveting is desiring anything other than God in a way that betrays a loss of contentment and satisfaction in Him. You can love many things, not just money. In this case, the desire is for money. It's loving, trusting, being satisfied by money more than God. That's what happens when we love money. Now, none of us want that if we're His. And yet it happens. And sometimes it's just because we don't process through and think this way. That if I am more satisfied by money and what money can give me, then what has happened is the allegiance of my heart has shifted. The satisfaction of my heart has changed. And Jesus, who died for me, has been brought way down here. John MacArthur says, for the love of money, people have committed every conceivable sin. What, is, what does Paul mean when he says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil? People take, take bribes. People distort justice. For money, people manipulate, take advantage of the poor. They lie, they cheat, they extort, they deceive, they rob, they steal, they abuse, they fornicate, they commit adultery, they do bodily harm to others, they kill for money. Hey, up in the church, they even teach for false doctrine. They teach false doctrine for money. Remember, they assume that, that godliness is a means of gain. It is through this craving, as the text says, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money. You would do better to take a sword and run yourself through with it as you would to let your heart love money. It'd be less damning to your soul. Covetousness is faith in money or things. Contentment, on the other hand, is faith in God. Trusting His sovereign supply, that it's perfect and is enough. Again, Luke 12, 15, we just read the second half of it earlier. Jesus says there, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For, because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life consists, John 10 would tell us, one's abundant life consists... And knowing Jesus, having a relationship with the Father forever. You just can't covet money and things and trust God at the same time. Verse 9 of our text, 1 Timothy 6, again it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people, listen to what it plunges you into, ruin and destruction. It doesn't just cheat you a little bit, it kills you. Andy Stanley says of covetousness, of the opposite of contentment, of this thing we call greed, greed is the assumption it is all for my consumption. That's pretty good. Greed is the assumption that all that God gives me is for my consumption. Now, some of you are sitting there looking kind of cross-eyed because you're thinking, well, obviously, God gives it to me for my consumption, right? Wrong. <laughs> I mean, I told you it's going to get tougher. We noted this earlier, and so we'll just say this in passing. 
What was at the root of the false teacher's false teaching and sinful living in 1 Timothy 6? We're not going to read it all through again, but you can glance at verses 3 through 5. At the very bottom of it all, at the root of it all, it was, it was the fact that they were imagining godliness was a means of gain. So let's get practical. How can you know if you love money? You need to know. You may not want to know, but you need to know. I need to know. So here's some questions. Are you satisfied with what you have right now? Are you content? Do you feel the need to wear, drive, or live to show off your money or what it has purchased for you? Do you resent giving money to meet needs, the needs of God's kingdom or simply the needs of the poor? Will you sin to get money? Will you lie on your income tax return, cheat on your expense account at work, even compromise your morals to get more money? Are you strapped with debt to support your lifestyle? We're back to where we started last week. I told you we would come back to this issue of debt because it's so important. Can you barely make the minimum payments required on your credit cards, but, listen, but because you can make those minimum payments, you think you can actually afford all that you possess, hello, with borrowed money? Let's talk about debt. The Bible does not categorically forbid debt. So let's just get that out of the way. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was assumed there would be debt among the people of God. However, they were not allowed to charge one another as Israelites interest. The Bible does not categorically forbid debt, but it certainly does warn us about the damage it can do in our lives. In Romans 13, verse 8, Paul writes, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And he goes on to talk about love down through verse 10. And our obligation, our ongoing debt to love one another. And you say, well, yeah, he's really not talking about money there, Chad. Actually, he is. Because right before this, he has told us to pay our taxes. And what he's basically saying is, make sure you don't have any outstanding tax bill. The only, tax, the only outstanding bill you ought to have is, is love for money. You need to be paying your debts. Again, it doesn't say you can't have debt. It, it just says you should pay it in a timely fashion. And, and, and again, there's something to the language here. Let no debt remain outstanding. It's just not something that should linger on and on, it seems, in Paul's mind. But regardless of how far we push Romans 13, 8, Proverbs 22, 7 is crystal clear. The last part of that verse says, The borrower is the slave of the lender. And it is absolutely always true. The borrower is the slave of the lender. That's Proverbs 22, verse 
7b. The borrower is the slave of the lender. I got it, Chad. Well, I'm going to read it one more time just in case. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Here's a few snapshot statistics for average, the average American's debt in 2020. Pretty recent numbers. 80% of Americans have consumer debt. The average consumer debt is $38,000. That does not include mortgages. People aged 45 to 54 have the greatest average debt when compared to other age groups. 13% of Americans expect to be in debt for the rest of their lives. Two out of ten Americans use at least 50% of their income to pay back what they owe. Let that sink in for a second. 20% of Americans. Only one in three Americans have a written bad B word budget. Only one in three Americans have a written budget. Almost half of the families in the U.S. live paycheck to paycheck. Almost half. 19% of Americans have zero dollars set aside for an emergency. Again, 20% have no money. They could not even handle a $500 emergency. It's easy to get into the spend then borrow cycle, isn't it? With almost half of Americans reporting they live paycheck to paycheck and 40% of Americans reporting they, they wouldn't be able to cover that $500 expense, we see that we need to take a good hard look at our finances and get them back on track. There was some good news in all this. Eight of ten people who give to churches have zero credit debt. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you don't have a lot of debt that's enslaving you, if the borrower is not slave to the lender, then you are free to give. You're free to give like we talked about last week. You're free to give with, with hilarity. You're free to give with joy. You're free to, give that cheer, to be that cheerful giver God wants you to be. Wherein you imitate Him and His free and joyful giving of Christ to us. Now, we understand some folks are living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck because they barely make enough to live on. Plain and simple. But the reality is, when almost half of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, it's not true for everybody. The reality is, is that many who make plenty to not live paycheck to paycheck still are living that way because of their choices to go into debt in order to sustain a lifestyle that they truly cannot afford. My friend Barnabas, some of you have heard me speak of this person. And portraying Juliana who haven't. Over a year ago, I don't even know, a year and a half ago now, a long time ago, I started getting anonymous letters from someone and they were just letters of encouragement. They would basically detail the last Sunday sermon and it was a personal application this person was making and they never signed them. I couldn't figure out who it was and so I, I, I told Betsy, I'm just going to call them letters from Barnabas. I'm going to put them in a file folder and maybe I'll publish them one day. Well, I still get these letters. And so Barney, as I affectionately call him, is tracking along with us in this series. 
He could perhaps even be sitting among you, maybe not. Maybe he's joining us via live stream. Here's what he says about this. Perhaps for most of us, the primary enemy of gracious, godly, generous, spirit-filled giving is the vicious, subtle, selfish, seed-corn-eating, demonic stronghold of debt, luxurious debt. Bankrupt, but looking good. Regardless of the borrower's income or net worth or even gross asset value, the borrower is always the slave to the lender. Many believers, regardless of desire, simply, listen to this, this is so sad and it's so true, many believers, regardless of desire, simply cannot give more in their enslaved-to-debt condition. At the same time, they are frustrated with their monthly struggle to pay that minimum monthly payment Perhaps even crying out in their desperation for God's blessing only so that they can continue the cycle. Let me encourage you to break the cycle. Break the chains of debt in your life in order that your life and your lifestyle might more fully honor the one who died for you. Remember, this whole series is about stewarding our lives, stewarding our money, yes, but stewarding our whole lives for the glory of King Jesus. You see on the screen something you won't be able to read because it's too small, I'm pretty sure. I can't see it for the sunlight. It's not there. You see nothing on the screen. Well, from, Stan, from Andy Stanley's book entitled Be Rich, which is, by the way, one of the most powerful books on giving I've ever read, uh, along with The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn that we're uh, doing a study through on Wednesday nights currently. He includes something called the cycle of the consumption um, assumption. And, and so this is kind of how the cycle works. We spend more than we make. That leads to consumer debt in order to consume more, which leads to no margin for, consumer, for, for, for future consumption because we've added to the bills by increasing our debt. And that leads to worry about future consumption. And we end up again spending more than we make, which requires us to then take more consumer debt. Do you, you understand how it's a downward spiral and it never ends? Very simply put, instead of spending more than we make, we've got to learn self-control. Instead of going into consumer debt in order to consume more and really more than we can afford, we've got to learn contentment. The way to avoid no margin in our lives for future consumption is discipline. Boy, we don't like these words, do we? Self-control. Who wants that? Contentment. Discipline. And that worry about future consumption, the only solution for that is trust in God. That will lead you to have self-control. That will cause you to run to Jesus for contentment. That will, that will make sure that you do the discipline, take the discipline steps that are necessary, practically very just mundane, everyday kind of stuff that we'll talk about in a moment. Even as you pray for him to give you strength to do it all. This is what it looks like when you're hoping in money, and that's how you break the chains. So some very practical steps. Maybe you want to give like we talked about last week. You want to be a cheerful giver. But the bottom line reality of your life is you're in that place where you cannot give because you're cash strapped. 
every, of every dollar of yours is spoken before because you've, you've decided to live at this lifestyle, even though you only live at this income. You got consumer debt, you got, you got all kind of trouble. What can you do? Well, first of all, decide today. Jot these things down. Decide today that you're going to honor God by giving at least 10% of your income. Remember what we said last week? Biblically speaking, the tie is the floor, not the ceiling. Decide today that you're going to honor God by giving at least 10% of your income. Listen to me. This is very important. Even if that means or seems impossible right now. I've been in that place where I didn't know how. I didn't make sense to give 10%. But here's the bottom line. Can you trust the Father who sent His Son? Listen, Listen to what I'm saying to you. To save your soul eternally, your soul, the everlasting part of you. Can you trust that God? Do you really believe? I mean, mean, see, this starts to test our faith in Christ. Hello? This gets right down to where we live. Do we even believe this eternity stuff is real? Like damnation and, 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 and rescue and salvation? Like grace? Is it real? Like we're gonna live forever in one place or the other? Is is it even real? Because see, all of a sudden. What I'm asking you is, can you trust the God who gave you all of that spiritually with your money? Just currency that's temporary. You understand a lot of eternity is like monopoly money. It ain't real. It's real for now. It's real for the game of life. But when eternity comes, it's gone. Do you trust him? Decide today what you're gonna, that you're going to honor God by giving at least 10% of your income, even if it doesn't seem possible right now. Secondly, decide today that you won't take on any more consumer debt. One of the financial classes I used to teach sometimes uh, talked about some of us need to have plastic surgery or you take the biggest and strongest pair of scissors you've got and cut up your credit cards today. It's not a bad idea. Decide today that you won't take on any more consumer debt. Thirdly, develop a written budget that you revisit and revise every month so that you can set a target for living within your means while honoring God by giving. So yes, start obeying God and allow His grace to flow through you in the grace of giving. Make giving giving in the worship of Jesus Christ who saved you the number one item at the top of your monthly budget. Just put it there. You worship God before you pay you. Hello? And then figure out how to make the rest of it balance from there. Balance means, except in our crazy world today, in most normal worlds of the past in our country, balanced budget means it's a zero-dollar-based budget. Do you understand what I'm saying? What you bring in, you can tell exactly how it goes out and those all, you're, you have an awareness of how it's all spent, and at the end, it's, it, it's, it's zero, even if some of that money is saved. But what you don't have is a negative number. Y'all with me? That don't work. Another, another practical step, get a small emergency fund before you start attacking your debt. So before you start paying debt down, save money. Remember, we don't want to be part of that group that can't, handle a four or five hundred dollar expense emergency 
So get an emergency fund. Hey, is this practical? Is this helpful? (laughs) Perfectly timed question. Good. So here's some more. Sell stuff. Sell stuff. That may be your car. That may be leisure activity equipment. Isn't it funny how that stuff we like to do, the stuff you need to do, that stuff we like to do, costs much money. By the way, somebody's got that figured out, and it ain't you. It's the, it's, the, it's the retailer where you buy all that stuff that's part of your hobby. Hello. Maybe some furniture. Hey, it could even be your house. And I just wonder, do, 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 or is it possible that we have more house than we can afford? Are we willing to, to part with a house that we may love in order to honor Christ? who died for us with our lives. I'm not saying you have to sell your house. But I am saying if you've if you got too much house to live and give your life to the honor of Christ, then you might need to sell your house and downsize. Proverbs 6, 1 through 5 tells us to break free from debt with the intensity of a gazelle running from a hunter. Now, we don't have gazelles around here, but just imagine a deer. Have you ever spooked a deer up close? I mean, it's almost like a cartoon. And how, you know, how in the cartoons when somebody decides to run fast, they, their feet spin in circles, and then they, then they move. They kind of like spin in, in place for a minute. That's kind of how those deer, deer are. Let me tell you, when a deer is spooked, he runs and he's... I mean, there is no chance of getting a shot off at a deer that's been spooked. They are gone, poo, in seconds. And in Proverbs 6, 1 through 5, we're told to get out of debt like that. Is that what you look like as you're trying to get out of debt? Maybe you need to get a part-time job so that you can look like that to get out of debt and begin to pay down your debts, no matter how little it may be every month. That's as practical as I can get today. Find help. Like if, if you're in this place and you want to be 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 kind of people and givers for the glory of Jesus, but you're bound in debt, you got all these issues, get some help. Find a good financial counselor. But even if we don't use debt to sustain our lifestyle, we need to realize, as Randy Alcorn says in his book, The Treasure Principle, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Do you believe that? You say, I don't know, Chad. I think that, that may be just pushing it a little bit. I think Randy Alcorn, I, think, I mean, it sounds great. I mean, neat little catchy way he said all that. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. But, but the question I've got for you, Kelly, is this. Can you prove that scripturally? Like, is that really what God says? Or is that just what Randy Alcorn says? Is it just kind of the best advice? What? God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 and 11. You tell me. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. And in the context, this is talking about money. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, 
you may abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Listen. By the way, that's, that's increasing your income. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. You will be enriched in every way to be, for the purpose of being generous in every way. Alcorn in the Bible is pretty close, ain't they? That ain't a real stretch. You don't need a whole lot of commentary on that. What needs to practically change in our living and our giving? What is it for you? What is it for me? Run from the love of money. Our decisive battle of faith is daily fighting the love of money so that our hearts can be truly rich and satisfied in God. The second point will go much faster than the first. Run to, run from the love of money, run to the gain of godly contentment, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment, it's not just gain, it is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, Paul says very simply, with these we will be content. Because see, it's not about this life. Life is really not about just this life. It's about forever. Wednesday night, Treasure Principle Study, folks, we'll be talking about this in a couple weeks. Randy Alcorn talks about we live on the dot. So imagine a dot, and then imagine from that dot is a line drawn that never ends. We live on the dot. That's called time and our earthly lives. The line is eternity where we will spend, that we will spend forever with Jesus. We live on the dot. And godliness with contentment on the dot is great gain because it actually affects the line of eternity. John MacArthur says, money love is deadly. It ignores the true gain. I don't want you to miss this. Godliness with contentment, listen, it's not just gain. It doesn't undo gain in your life. In fact, it gives you great gain. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? You know, sometimes we look at all that we could gain from the money. All that money can gain for us. And it can, right? I mean, who's denying that? <laughs> they say money can't buy me happiness, but it can buy me a boat. Right? I mean, it gets you stuff. If you got a boat, I got a boat. So, not against boats. Money brings you gain. Paul says, here's, here's the deal. Godliness with contentment, <laughs> it gives you a gain that's nothing like a boat. It's far better than a boat. It's everlasting unlike a boat. My mother-in-law says, you know what a boat is? It's a hole in the lake you pour money into. Hello. Godliness with contentment is great gain. C.S. Lewis said, we are like children living in the slums 
making mud pies, having no idea that just down the street, if we, if we, if we could just understand the truth like it is, we could have a vacation on the seashore. But we put great gain, we, 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 we assign a label of great gain to mud pies. Hello? Boats, houses, trucks, cars, stuff, more money in the bank, big retirement account, and we value mud pies. And they're going to disappear. When the reality is, listen, we have an eternal holiday at the sea in C.S. Lewis's language awaiting us. And we can be investing in that because you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. How do we run to the gain of godly contentment? We preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You say, Chad, it seems like with you the answer for everything is the gospel. Yes, it is. It's always the answer. We never graduate from the gospel. There is no deeper life than living out the implications of the gospel. We certainly go deeper in the gospel, and that's what we're talking about here, but not deeper than the gospel. God's grace in Jesus is transforming grace. It changes us. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And you and I have experienced that salvation. And then here's what that grace does. Once it saves us, listen, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Can I just stop there and say this? Which means avoiding the love of money, running from the love of money, running to the gain of godly contentment. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself to redeem us, don't ever forget it, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He didn't save us to leave us the same. He didn't just save us to take us to heaven. He saved us to make us different aliens and strangers in this world that show the beauty of Jesus by how we live and how we give. This is how Paul could write Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul said, he, and he, so he's talking to the Philippian church as he closes out the letter to, the, to that church. He's talking to them, and they had been involved in supporting his ministry financially, okay? As he speaks to them about that, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul said, here's the deal. It's amazing what you've done for me, but, but what I don't want you to take this as, I'm thanking you from that. I'm, I'm encouraging you in that because that's the grace of giving. This is something God does in the people uh, that, he, that, he, that he indwells by his spirit. But what I don't want you to hear me saying is that I'm asking for more. Because here's the deal. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And by the way, most of us don't know how low, have never experienced how low Paul went. How, how impoverished and without anything Paul was in prison and being beaten, stoned, left for dead. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, listen, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him 
who strengthens me. What was the secret? Jesus. How did he know contentment in no matter his circumstances? Because he rested in Christ. And I want you to look at probably the most misapplied verse, the most awfully applied verse in the Bible, Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I want you to understand what it's talking about. Paul is saying, I can be content in this context. I can be content with little or nothing. I can be content with much. I can be content in any circumstances. I can do all things, whatever that is, poor or rich, through Christ who strengthens me. It is not talking about winning a ball game. It is not talking about success in any other endeavor. It's talking about success and contentment being strengthened by Christ. Now, is there a principle there you can take and apply to the places? Probably. Just don't mess it up in the context. Amen? He is talking. He is saying, Christ will strengthen me to be content. Here's the good news. He'll do that for me. He'll do it for you. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in. Our decisive battle of faith is daily fighting the love of money so that our hearts can be truly rich and satisfied in God. Here's the motive Paul wraps this thing up with in 1 Timothy 6 for obedience to both these commands. The motive for running from the love of money and to the gain of godly contentment is to realize that you live your life in the presence of God in the light of the soon return of your sovereign Savior King. Verses 13 to 16, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display. He will display at the proper time. He who is the only, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion a Man, I just get excited reading that. Can you tell? Man, we got a king, and he's coming. And he's big, and he is beautiful, and he is powerful. And he loves you. And because he's coming, we should run from the love of money and run to the gain of godly contentment. God, in, this, in these verses, is pictures our shepherd who knows all that we need to live and provide everything for us. He's, our, he's pictured here as our Father who loves and cares for us as His kids. And He's pictured here as our King who has the authority and power to get it done. Why should we ever fear? Why do we ever worry about something related to money? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this, Keep your life free. Here's, you you may summarize First Timothy 6, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Four, because. Why can you do that? Because he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Don't misunderstand that. That's not just some general deal. That's about money. That's about your finances. The Lord's my helper, I will not fear. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Run from the love of money, run to the gain of godly contentment. Our decisive battle of faith is daily fighting the love of money so that our hearts can be truly rich and satisfied in God. Let's pray together.
Lord, by your word, by your spirit, has hit us right between the eyes of our hearts. This teaching in your word gets right down to where we live. And we stand before you, Lord. I stand before you. Challenged, convicted, needing to be transformed to a greater degree by your word. By your spirit, show us our love of money. Don't let us ignore what your spirit shows us. But empower us to change and make us willing to decide to take steps of self-control and discipline to make it happen. Free your people in this local church and across our world from the chains of debt, self-imposed, unnecessary, luxurious living debt for your honor and glory. And, oh, God, may we see that there is nothing that satisfies like Jesus. And may we learn to be content, even as Paul did. We confess that unless Christ strengthens us, we can't do it. We'll never be content. But we can be content through Christ who strengthens us. Make it so, for Lord Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy of this kind of living. Help us in the battle for contentment in Christ, we pray. Even now as we sing together, Lord, speak to our hearts. Let's train Juliana, lead us, and change us, we ask in Christ's name. against a wall and your mountain seems so tall and you realize that life's not always fair you can run away and hide let the old man decide you can change your circumstances with a prayer If you'll just 
thankful thank you guys so thankful that greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world amen and amen just a couple of announcements as we dismiss tonight cry out to jesus prayer service here at six o'clock uh join together the church family to pray this wednesday evening there'll be no seeds children or normal youth activities here uh no pizza going on this this wednesday night but there will be a youth outing you're meeting here yes. at a time, a time, <laughs> a to-be-determined time, and you're go they're going out to do something fun. So the, the few teenagers that are around, spread the word. They, they need to figure out that time. So Instagram, we'll probably get that on Instagram, my guess is, um, and you'll know what and when before Wednesday. So uh, have a great time with Trey and uh, Julianne and others. Adult Bible studies, though, will be meeting on Wednesday night. Uh, Larry Monax's Bible study, as well as a treasure, treasure principle study um, here at 6.30. Just make sure you got on your calendar the Good Friday Candlelight Communion Service, which will be Friday, April the 15th at 6 p.m. Friday, April the 15th, 6 p.m. And uh, continue to pray for your folks that have been on your 7 for 7 list. We've been praying for 7 folks for 7 weeks. Uh, begin to invite some of those folks. Um, just, just what if everybody had seven people on our list and one of the seven of those people on your list came with you to Good Friday and Easter services? Just what if they heard the gospel 
at one or both of those occasions. And just what if God decided that was the day he was going to save them? Wouldn't you be glad you'd prayed for seven weeks or seven people and invited them all to come to church? I mean, would you? Amen. So give it a shot. The worst they can tell you is no. But the second best time to invite somebody to church is Good Friday evening. They're more likely to come. First one is Christmas Eve, by the way, Christmas Eve service. So take, take that chance, invite them. If you get them here, they'll get the gospel. We'll make sure that they hear the good news of Jesus. If there are no other announcements, Jim Leslie and Pam Callahan, there are other announcements this morning. I'm sorry? Yes, baby shower, uh, excuse me, not a baby shower, a wedding shower, a bridal shower. What do you call it, Chad? A bridal shower. Yeah, Debbie and Chris are like, no, it's not a baby, it's a wedding. Um, bridal shower next. This is why they should never leave me without things written down. I get in really tr- big trouble. Uh, bridal shower next Sunday afternoon for Samuel and Chloe at 2 o'clock. Jim Leslie. Yes, we will have a Gideon here sharing about the work of Gideon. So prepare uh, yourselves to give to our friends, the Gideons. We're big, uh, big friends with the Gideons. Jim is uh, our resident Gideon, uh, along with Wes Clampett and maybe others. Um, is that it right now? Two of you guys. And so um, Dave MacArthur. Uh, and so we appreciate what God uh, does around the world through the work of the Gideons and getting God's word out. Going once, going twice. Anybody else? Trey's got one. (sighs) (laughs) Tell him again. Well, first of all, everybody's forgetting about us because last night Adam Pulliam was supposed to have a fire for us and he forgot. And now you forgot this. I forgot you was going to join the church. Yeah, see. I joined the church. I'm I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm, what do y'all think? Okay. All right. So this would be a transfer of letter from? New Life Church, Hayesville, North Carolina. Well, it's a pleasure of the church regarding receiving Trey and Juliana Rogers. Parliamentary procedure right there. Amen. Is there a second? All in favor, let me know by saying Amen. And we love you. We already have come to love you guys. And we appreciate you and your future ministry here. Thank you for reminding me of that. So it's going to be good to have a younger guy around. I'm just 26, I know. All right. Amen and amen. All right. Well, welcome. And I'm going to ask you to join me out in the hallway. Um, Let me have that. I'll turn that get that killed. And we will head that way. And Kyle Ray because I know he'll pray, and I saw him, will close us in prayer.